Uh, my name's Jim, if I haven't met you yet. Glad that you guys are here this morning. And uh, man, if you were here last week, you know. So the, the, the talk I'm going to give this morning, I was actually supposed to give last week. But at 10 o'clock at night, last Saturday night, I got really sick. And so I called my co-pastor, Bill. Uh, oh, thanks, Becky. I called my co-pastor, Bill, at 10 o'clock, and I said, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I don't actually think there's any way that I can come in tomorrow morning and, and do this. And he's like, okay. So he had to work overnight last week to come up with a talk. And um, so he is telling me that I owe him one. Um, and what I told him was that uh, my role at this church is actually to sharpen him. And so I, I think Bill actually owes me a big one because I am keeping that dude on his toes. And I went fly fishing all day Sunday, and it was fine. No, I, I actually weighed 180 pounds on Saturday morning, and I weighed 172 on Tuesday morning. So it was a, yeah. Uh, so I've gained two back, but if I look a little skinny, that's what's going on. Um, so a couple things before we dive in today into this. Um, first is I want to uh, ask, sorry, Lynn, I'm doing this to you again. I did it this morning, but... I'm going to ask Lynn up here uh, real quick. Come on up, Lynn. So if you've ever had a cup of coffee at our church out here, you've probably had Lynn give it to you. Um, Lynn, yeah, you guys, come on. Seriously. She, you guys, she has served so faithfully here. She's like there every week. She is always smiling. She is always just doing the kind of mundane jobs that need to happen to make people feel like they're welcome here. And she does it with such a sincerity and she's so genuine. And Lynn is moving to Woodland Park this week. Um, so today is her last Sunday and uh, I just, I, I'm so sad <laughs> and, and happy for her too. So could you guys, you guys, she just embodies that idea here at Ascent of like, hospitality and care for people. She has lived that out. So could we say thank you to Lynn before she goes? So we love you. Thank you. I'm so sad to see you go. Yeah. Bless you. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to tell you before we dive into today is um, I, I just, uh, maybe I just need this to get off my chest, but I feel like I have made a mistake as a leader. Um, I've fallen into a trap that I think leaders sometimes fall into. And so over the last 18 months of our church's life, we, I think, uh, have this really exciting thing where we're moving into a new building. We hope, you know, maybe next fall of 19. And, you know, we bought land out on 96th Street. We're moving out there. Really exciting. I would say over the last eight or nine months, though, I think me personally, I have become so entangled in just the day-to-day -day kind of weeds of all of that. And to some degree I've had to, but I think what's happened is that I have stopped or haven't as effectively as I need to cast vision for what this church's vision actually is. And what I'm afraid of is because in the absence of great kind of vision casting about who we are as a community, the vision could become that we're trying to move into a new church home. That is not the vision of our church. The vision of our church is to absolutely blow the socks off this community with how we surprise them with our generosity, 
with how we reach out to people who are far away from God and don't know who Jesus is and end up somehow finding themselves loving him, that we live in such a way that the people around us actually can't help but ask why, and the answer always somehow tends to point back to the good news, the gospel of who Jesus is. The, the vision of this church is to reach kids and see another generation of people growing up knowing who Jesus is. That's the vision of this church. The vision of the church is never just let's find a home. And if that ever becomes our vision, then we're going to be really bummed. The, the building's going to be incredible. The building is a vehicle, is what we're going to hop in and drive and help us get to the vision which is to do unbelievable things and take the kingdom of God and just blow it wide open in this community. That's the vision of this church. So I want, I want to say a couple things. First, uh, I'm so sorry that for me, I got caught into the trap that I got caught into where I'm not casting that vision clearly enough. And the number two is, I prom- it ain't going to happen again. <laughs> so over these next 18 months, I just want to say buckle up because we are going to not just move into a new building. I think God's going to do something remarkable through this church over the next year and a half. And, and, and that's our vision, to see this, this community so much better off and closer to who Jesus is because of the, our existence. So, okay. <sighs> Thank you. I need to get that out of my chest. Um, here, here's what we want to do. Uh, I got an agenda for you today as part of that vision of us growing into who God wants us to be, every single one of us, I'm praying, no matter where you're at in life in terms of your walk with God, this might be your first Sunday in a church or this, you know, maybe you've been around church forever. We, our hope and prayer is we are taking a step closer to who God wants us to be and a tighter relationship with Jesus. And today I want to give you something I think is super practical about how every single one of us can actually move the dial and move closer to where God wants us to be. And guys, if we do that as a community, then I'm telling you, that's, that's how God's going to do something great through us. Um, so before I tell you what the practical step is, I just, I think churches are so funny, you know, and, and I've been in them long enough now where sometimes it just feels normal. I think churches are uh, the institution that is most likely to make decisions just based on their intuition, right? If we have serious decisions to make, churches often make those decisions, you know, based on like, which way, you know, like we make decisions based on intuition. Part of that's beautiful because part of that means we we can listen to God, we can listen to what the Spirit wants us to do. That's all great. But for a lot of you, you're sitting here and you're part of sales or you're, you know, in marketing, or real estate, or law, or the medical field, and the way you make decisions when you have serious decisions that come up aren't just based on intuition. They often are based on what? Data. Like, actual data about, you know, what's actually happening in the world that might inform how you make the next decision. Churches often don't do that. So we've been looking at how, how are we this next year, really, How are we going to see us as a community grow, serve the community around us? How are we going to do that? And instead of just doing this, we've been actually looking at some things to help us understand what makes people grow. um, We've been looking at a study. Some of you might have heard of this before. It's called Reveal. The study looks at about 2,000 churches and uh, has 
you know, I think well over 500,000 people that have responded to it now, who talk about, and we can kind of infer some data from it, about how do people actually grow. And uh, through the study, they kind of identified four stages of spiritual growth that you can kind of move along. And there was one thing that came out of that study that kind of cut across all those uh, levels. It doesn't, doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God or if you're not walking with God at all. This was something that helped people move across those uh, stages. The number one thing was, drum roll, number one thing was regular reflection on the scripture. Cut across all the angles. That if you are somebody that regularly opens up a Bible and starts to read it, and doesn't just read it, you know how like you read in school, you have to read something in school because you're reading it for information that you got to regurgitate? That's not what we're talking about. When we read the scripture, we actually come to it for formation, not information, that we're actually praying through what we're reading. We're talking to God about what we're reading. We're asking God to speak to us about who we are, you know, who God wants us to be, the world around us, and we're letting that help shape us by God's spirit working inside of us. This study is saying, actually, by the data, that is the number one thing across all those stages that would help you grow into who God wants you to be. One of the biggest dangers is to think that the number one way that you grow is actually by doing this, coming in passively listening to someone else talk. Look, I think what we do on Sunday morning is great, but if you want to grow further and further into your faith, one of the things that we got to do is we got to actually start to learn how do we read the scripture for ourselves, and let God shape us through it. So my agenda for you today is, I, w- I want to show you a little journey that I went on these last few weeks, um, reading the scripture and how God, I think, is uh, speaking to me through it. And um, man, if any of you have done this before, you know, sometimes painfully so, right? So, so here, here's what we're going to do. We are doing a series called This Is Us. And the idea is to look at some people in the Bible that had faith that was like this big, just tiny little faith. But since God is so big, God can take even your tiniest little faith and do some amazing things with it. And that's what he does over and over again through the scripture. And so we were looking at this one chapter, Hebrews 11, where a lot of kind of, uh, it's called the Hall of Fame of faith. A lot of these people are mentioned in there that you'd think, wow, they're just incredible. But when you poke at them a little bit, you go, oh, these people actually, their faith, they seem just like me, just like us. And so today we're going to actually look at someone in the Bible who, um, it's so funny, when I, so I don't know how I ended up with this guy. He's probably my least favorite person in the Bible outside of Judas, okay? Um, the guy's name is Jacob. And so there's a mention of Jacob in Hebrews chapter 11. It's just, I actually think whoever wrote Hebrews didn't really know what to say about him, but felt like they had to include him in because he was one of the like patriarchs of the faith. So they threw him in there and and this is what they said about him. Uh, It says this, it says, it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff and that got him into the hall of fame somehow, okay? I want to tell you today the story of Jacob, and I want you to hopefully see a little bit how someone else's story through the scripture can spin its way when God gets a hold of you into your own heart. 
And, that, and I think that's what's happened with me with this guy. Okay, here's the story of Jacob. You ready? Ah, Jacob, interesting guy. Actually, let me, let me start by giving you a little context on Jacob. So if you opened the first book of your Bible, Genesis, the beginning, you would read about a few people. You would read, oops, I don't want that one. Let me, let me start over. That was from last one here. Let me start with this. You would read about Adam and Eve, about creation, about um, how sin entered the world, about how we turned our back on God, why we were created, why, the, the relationship that we were intended to have with God. That's what you would read in the first few chapters of the Bible. A little bit later on, you would read about Abraham. Right? There's an A in there. And Sarah. And this is kind of the first people that God went to and said, I'm going to make a promise with you. I'm going to make a covenant that you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to build this great nation out of you. And it's really cool. We see that develop over time, you know, and it helps us to see how God deals with human beings. And that's what we see in Abraham and Sarah. They have kids. One of them is named Isaac, and his wife is named Rebecca. And they eventually have kids. The they have twins, the first kid that they have, you know, comes out first, and his name is Esau. What an interesting name. Esau is an interesting dude. Esau grows up, and he is a big, red-headed, hairy guy. Like, I was, I was uh, sometimes what I do is, like, before I inflict you with uh, these talks, I'll sometimes run it by my kids around the dinner table, and so... I was telling my kids about Esau, and they go, oh, it's like Gossamer. And I was like, who's, who's Gossamer? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that guy from the Looney Tunes, you know? So th that's, that's Esau, okay? So e just, when you think Esau, I think the guy, that guy right there, that um, he's big, he's hairy, he loves to hunt and kill stuff, right? Actually, we got a lot of guys like that in our church. So some of you guys love Esau. This, this is Esau. Now, the reason why I drew a little line from Isaac to Esau and not from both Rebecca and here's here's a little deal and some of you have experienced this and lived this Isaac actually likes Esau more than he likes his other kids some of you maybe have lived in a family where there's favoritism toward one kid more so than another and you know the pain that that can cause Guys, that is embedded right here in the Bible right in the beginning the patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith, you see favoritism happening in the family. This is us, I'm telling you. It's right there. Isaac loves Esau. So Isaac, or, uh, Esau's born, and it, the Bible says, the story says that uh, Jacob comes next, right behind him, actually holding onto his heel. So it was like seconds later that Jacob is born, and Jacob comes out, and guess where this line's gonna get drawn? Rebecca likes Jacob more. So it's interesting, the story says that Jacob uh, describes him as a smooth-skinned guy. So Esau's all hairy and gossamer and hunting all the time. And Jacob is smooth-skinned, and it says he liked, liked to hang around the tents, okay? So he didn't like to go, he liked to hang around. He's cooking, he's hanging out with mom, and that's, that's Jacob and Rebecca loves him most, Isaac loves Esau most because he's like hunter guy. So now here's the thing. The fact that Esau 
was in the womb and had the advantage of being closer to being the firstborn is a, is a major thing in this culture. So for us, if, if somebody dies here, like your, your parents die, um, generally speaking, and I'm sure this, there's exceptions, but generally speaking, you might expect that what you, we would do is you would spread your inheritance equally among your kids. That was not how it worked in this culture. Back then, what would happen is if you were born first, you got two-thirds and the other guy got one-third. So you would get an extra share if you were the older one. So that, that fact that he was born first has a very big financial impact on the family. Esau knows he's, he is going to get blessed by Isaac someday and receive this kind of extra inheritance, what we would think of as an extra inheritance. And so the, the ceremony that kind of unfolded during this time was as, as people got older, you would take the kids and you would have this big ceremony where you actually do this blessing ceremony on the oldest kid and they would, you know, kind of understand that they're going to get the inheritance when, uh, when the dad and mom die. And then there's other things along that blessing too, like, hey, you're going to kind of have uh, uh, more power over your siblings and that kind of stuff. Like a blessing was a huge deal back then. We don't, we don't understand this as well now because we don't do this kind of thing the way that they did. But that's how it worked. So Isaac is getting old. Isaac's like having trouble seeing, he's terrible hearing, he's like, he's getting to a point where he's got his cane and he can't do much, that's, that's Isaac. So he pulls over Esau and he says to Esau, it's time for the blessing, um, you know, I, I'm not gonna be around much longer, why don't we celebrate by you going out, killing my favorite food for me, bringing it back, cooking it up, we're gonna have this big celebration dinner and I'm going to give you the blessing. And so Esau says, Yes, I've waited for this, and he leaves to go find it. Now, Rebecca hears this. She hears Isaac say this to Esau, and Rebecca hatches a plan because she doesn't want Esau to get the blessing. She wants her favorite kid, Jacob, to get the blessing. Isn't this a wonderful marriage that they have with each other? Oh, my God, this is so healthy, isn't it? Rebecca wants Jacob to be blessed so badly that she concocts a plan to fool the old Isaac who can't see and hear. She's going to fool him into thinking that she, he, he's going to think that he's blessing Esau. Her plan is to make him think, or, or is to get him to bless Jacob instead, even though he doesn't realize it, right? We're going we're gonna to trick him somehow. Oh my gosh, I can't make this stuff up. No, but this is incredible. So Genesis chapter 27. This is where you're going to read about what happens in this plan that starts to develop. So uh, yeah, I'm going to read it right off here. Uh, uh, from verse 14, I think is where we start. So it says this. So Jacob went out, got the young goats for his mother, and Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. So remember now, Esau is off hunting during this time. He's trying to go find these young goats and bring them back and cook them up. They just, they snagged one from the pen or wherever and now they're making it quickly. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. So now we're, we're gonna dress him up to make him look like Esau, disguise. Check this out. 
This is messed up, you guys. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. She shaved the goats and like, what did she glue it on his, or the guy's arms and neck? This is, this, man. Okay, so then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including the freshly baked bread. And I love that they include the freshly baked bread because that'll put it over the top, you know. Nobody can resist. So Jacob took the food to his father. Imagine this. He's all dressed up. He's got goat hair on him with this food. He comes in to see Isaac and he says, my father? He said, yes, my son. Isaac answered, who, who are you? Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. Liar. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Okay, he comes in and the lie has started, you guys. But wait, it's going to get worse. All right, keep going. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Now look what Jacob says. The Lord your God put it in my path. All right, guys, come on. It's, it's one thing to lie. It's another thing to like grab God and involve him in your lie. You see this? This is the like, I swear to God when, you, when you're lying. This, this is like, I don't know. To me, this is just like a different level of lying when you say, God helped me to find this. And really, he just snagged it out behind the house. That's what's happened here. Ooh, I don't like him. Okay, let's keep going. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. He's having a hard time believing this is really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he didn't recognize Jacob because Jacob's hand felt hairy just like Esau's because of the disguise. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob, but he's still not convinced, you guys. This is so great. But are you really my son Esau? He asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him, and I promise you Jacob was like, doing this, right? Trying to get that wine down into him. Then, Jacob, then Isaac said to Jacob, please, come a little closer and kiss me, my son. He still doesn't believe that this is actually Esau. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors. I love that. Kind of comment there. It's just so good. Which the Lord has blessed. And he blesses the wrong kid. So in our world, we could look at this and just be like, well, that's dumb. We just reverse that. Who cares? You know, like if it's not in writing, then it doesn't matter. In this world, it matters. In this world, when you give a blessing like that, it stands regardless of anything else that happens. And so the, the story continues where uh, Jacob has now received this blessing through deceit. And he leaves the room and Esau comes in moments later, cooks up the food, comes in, brings it to Isaac. And Isaac goes, who are you? 
and when Esau says who he is, Isaac just starts trembling. It says, and, and he goes, there, I've been fooled. He realizes what's happened, that he's been fooled, and he says, but there's no way for me to reverse it. Again, this is how this culture worked in this time. But look, look how sad this is. And some of you are so familiar with the fallout of what happens in families, but th there's a very real fallout, obviously. I mean, imagine if this happened. This is, this is the fallout from the family. It says, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob. Brother hated brother because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so Jacob runs away. He flees because he knows that Esau is going to kill him. And I'm not going to tell you the rest of his story, but it just gets a little bit more weird. He goes on, actually, this is the part that kills me about Jacob. Jacob has experienced for himself what it feels like for a father to favor the other sibling. But that is exactly what Jacob does with his own kids someday. He favors one over the rest of them. And it is so clear to the brothers and so this, this is the life that Jacob leads. Okay, here's, here, I, I just got to tell you, how did this guy make it in? The Faith Hall of Fame? Seriously? This guy doesn't deserve it. I don't like him. When I read the story, I'm like, man, come on. There's got to be more than that. This is not cool. So... I've I, I read this story, and let's just take that story for a second I just told you and put it on the shelf over here for a second. Because I'm going to tell you another story. So a uh, few weeks back, our staff team started reading and took a personality test. And I know you, you guys probably taken them before in your place of work or whatever, you know, whether it's the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or strength finders, whatever it is, whatever your chosen one is, you, you've done that, and you know the pros and cons, all these things. We chose to do one that we, I, I kind of like the most. It's called the Enneagram. It's got a weird name, I know, but ancient uh, kind of person typology. And what, what the Enneagram does is it, it kind of um, takes people into nine different numbers. So when you take the test, it, it gives you a number and says, oh, you're a one, or you're a two, or three, or four, all the way up to nine. And then you kind of learn about, oh, okay, this is how I'm wired or not, and you guys have done this kind of thing probably before. So I take the Enneagram, and we're doing this as a staff, try to help work together better and understand ourselves better. I take the Enneagram, and I come out as an Enneagram three. Some of you might know what that means. A three can be a great thing. The, the other three on the staff was Chris Lagadros, middle school pastor, so apparently he and I are like each other. I don't know. Um, but, but we're both threes. And, and the three is kind of classified as the achiever. There's some great things about threes. Threes are the kind of people that like work hard, like can be um, really driven and motivated. You want some threes around because threes can get things done if they're, you know, uh, hopefully healthy in that way. But there's some really negative, as with anybody, there's real negative things about a three too. Uh, part of what's potentially negative about a three is a three may be willing to do whatever it takes in order to succeed, including not tell the truth all the time. 
a three might be willing uh, to shape your perception of them and, and be willing to do whatever it takes to manipulate other people's perception of them in such a way that they might not even lose their own identity about who they are. A three sometimes, on all, of all the numbers, it says, will, um, may have a hardest time accessing their emotions. A three could potentially go to a funeral but be thinking about their to-do list. You know, during, like, that's, you know that person? That's a three. So it, it comes out as a three, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? Like, there's some great things about it, but then there's all these negatives I'm reading. I'm like, okay, I got to. So I start going, okay, Lord, what, what do I got to learn about this? So I pick up this book, and I start reading more about a three. And this particular book, I, <laughs> this particular book gets to this spot in the book where it goes, and now we're going to tell you what biblical person you are most like as a three. Dang it! I'm thinking like all the great people in the Bible that I want to be. Oh, Jacob, you guys. The biblical person a three is most like is Jacob. I'm like, I know. Not true. I'm not like Jacob. There's nothing in me that's like Jacob, period. So I keep reading this book. And then ironically, I've been sick twice in the last five weeks. So this was the first time I got sick, like a few weeks back. I'm laying in bed and I'm reading all this and I'm mad. I'm sick and I'm mad now. And, and so I'm reading through this book. But the staff, our staff team had a little call or a conversation that I felt like I absolutely had to be a part of. So even though I'm at home and I'm sick, I call in on uh, the phone because I'm like, I got to make sure that I'm a part of this conversation. So we get on the phone and I'm talking to the staff and I'm on speaker and I'm, lay I'm literally laying in bed with my Enneagram book that tells me that I'm a three. Uh, and, and the book, I just read this right before I got on the phone. The book said, the key sin or the root sin of a three is deceit. That, that um, the thing that they have to be most careful about is deceiving other people. And I just read this. So I get on the phone with the staff and we start talking and they're asking me how I'm doing. I'm laying in bed. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm getting better. I just don't want to expose you guys. But man, I sure, I got a bad headache still. And so before I got on the call, I had just taken my temperature and the thermometer came out and said that I had a 101 fever. So I'm talking to the staff and I feel this overwhelming desire to tell them that my temperature is 102. <laughs> it's not 102. It's not. It's 101. And, and I had taken it minutes before I got on there. Why? Come on, some of you guys are like, it's just a degree. I do that kind of stuff all the time. Guys, it's the root. What's behind the root of that that would make me want to deceive them into thinking one thing is true when another is actually true? The truth is a three, a person like me, could be wired to try to manipulate how other people feel about them, and the truth is something that they can dispose of if they need to. Guys, Jacob, I hate that guy, right? But, but Jacob, Jacob 
is so willing even to put on the skin of another person. Literally, will put on the skin of someone else in order to deceive. And I started thinking, what is really at the root of this? What's the problem with this? The problem is, is that Jacob actually does not trust what God has for him. Jacob doesn't trust that God actually has something great in store for his life. And so he and his three mom, Rebecca, decide that they are going to fool someone else in order to get what they want. And it starts with just little things, but those are the symptoms, right? 102, 101, it's a degree, but it's a symptom. It's a symptom of what's going on here where I, root sin, could be very willing to help deceive someone else in order to manipulate how they perceive me in the world. Oof, that one hurts. (laughs) But man, that one springs right out of the pages of the scripture. You want to tell, you don't think that that's had some decent conversations between me and God since then? I mean, I am sitting down with my little journal right now just going, oh God, (laughs) okay. How do I not be that? It's led me on another little journey to think about who I am and what I'm called to and do I trust Do I trust that God has something good for me? I think um, as I think about my life, and I absolutely guarantee that this is true of everybody in this room, I think every single person has a mission. I I think you have been called by God to do something. I think God has given you a gift of some kind that you are called to use in the world in some way that is going to do something that is just mind-blowing. I believe that. Even people, you know, for those of you in this room who you're like, I'm not even a Christian. Man, the Bible's full of stories that people that don't even know God or believe in God, that God uses to do something amazing. I, I think whether, God doesn't draw artificial boundaries around who believes in him and who doesn't. He just uses everything and everyone. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing about God, and you see this through the Scripture. I think every person has a mission. I, I've spent a little time thinking about this, like, what is, what is my mission? I, I think that God has, for whatever reason, given me this idea of, like, no, you're supposed to use this strategic thing I've put in you. This is part of how I have wired you. You are supposed to use that strategy, right? You can't tell me that Rebecca... Jacob's mom doesn't have the gift of strategy. (laughs) She's very strategic. I think think God has given some of us that thing. Your your gift is use that strategy. But I think what God, in my mission, in my best self, what God wants me to do with that strategy is say, all right, the kingdom of God on earth needs to be expanded And Jim, by God's grace, for some unknown reason, I'm going to use you, Jim, to expand the kingdom of God in the little place that you're planted. That's that's my mission. At at my best self, this is what I'm supposed to do. I have no doubt. Now, some of you guys have heard me talk about this before. I think we all have a mission, but there's something else that we all have too. I think we all have a shadow mission. Shadow mission 
is when the thing that you've been called to do gets a little bit twisted. The thing that you have been called to do gets off. And it it no longer becomes about the mission that God has for you. It becomes about something else. And it can be very closely related to it. It, it, Just real quick example. You think about this. Um, I mentioned Judas earlier. Judas in the Bible. A lot of people think that uh, Judas had just a phenomenal ability around money. And so people think that Judas was the guy that was helping keep track of the funds that were helping to support Jesus, and that was part of his mission, right, was to use that gift to expand the kingdom of God in the world. And what did Judas ultimately fall for? Money. That's what led Judas to betray Jesus, money. Mission, twisted a little bit, shadow mission. So it's important, I think, for us to know not just what our mission is, but what's, what's the shadow mission that could grab you? I think for me, as I look at it, I go, you know what? I think my shadow mission is to deceive or manipulate so that I go up. Strategy for the kingdom of God versus deceive others to make me look good. That's the shadow mission that I struggle with. Guys, it's, it's important for me. Uh, I just, this, this, this line in the Bible I can't help but escape, and it's when John the Baptist, when Jesus comes along, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, he must become greater, and I must become less. He's got to expand. Jesus has got to be more, and I got to be less. For any of you in this room that are potentially wired like me at all, that's a good one to pray every single day. All right, Lord, today is not about me, not about how I look, not about how people perceive me, not about my ego. It's got to be all about you and what you want. And, and that, man, that's the core of how we start to have God heal us. And again, but it's through the reflection on the scripture where God through spirit can speak to you. So can I give you a little challenge? I want to ask you to try something. Um, this week or can be any time in the next few weeks. I want to ask you to actually try this for yourself. Um, I'm going to give you, this is a website right here of the Enneagraminstitute.com. If you go online and you, if you can't read it from wherever you're sitting, if you go online and you type in anything that remotely sounds like Enneagram, you're going to have it pop up. It's Enneagraminstitute.com. When you get on the website, you can take the test. I think it's $12 or so. And there's two things about that. First of all, now that you know this about me, I'm telling you, I do not work for the Enneagram. So I'm not getting paid for this, I promise. Um, and the second thing is I had this really cool offer after the first service. This woman who, who knows about the Enneagram came up to me and said, I believe so much that it can help people grow if they will read it and, and dive into it, that I would be, if there's anybody who isn't, who can't afford the $12 to take it, I'll pay for it. So if there's anybody here who needs somebody, an anonymous donor to pay for you to take that, they will pay for it. So I want you to get on, take it, and then I want to make a deal with you. When you get the number, I want you to email me your number. Here's, here's my address, jim at ascentcc.org. Email me your number, and I will email back to you your biblical person, okay? 
everybody here is praying it's not a three right now. I, I, I know. I will email back to you your biblical person, but you make a deal in this too. So my email box will be flooded, I hope. Your part of the deal is you take the test, I email you the person, and then you go read about the person. You actually open your Bible, go find the story. I'll help, I can help point you to where it is. Read about that person, and then I want you to spend some time praying about it. I want you to spend some time, maybe a little journal, talk to God about what you're finding. What is it about this person that could remotely be like me? I want you to do that and reflect and see what God might say to you. And then take it one more step and talk to somebody else about what you found out. Guys, this is exactly where God shows up in your life and will do something. And so I hope that my mailbox is flooded with this little challenge, okay? Last thing. You realize this story is really about grace. You realize this story is really about a guy that doesn't deserve to get what he got. A guy that cheated his way there and yet still gets mentioned in the Hall of Fame. Doesn't, he, he doesn't deserve it. Isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like Jesus who comes, who lives, who dies on a cross? He didn't die for perfect people that could make the Hall of Fame. He died for guys like Jacob. He died for guys like me. You all have your own mission and shadow mission. I've been clear about mine, but you got it too. And more often than not, if you're like me, you live here instead of here. And that's exactly why Jesus came and died. is because he sees the future you. Man, thank God for that. Lord, thank you for today, and I just pray for our church that we would be the kind of people that reflect on your word, who reflect on um, the incredible love of Jesus. And I pray, God, that that would translate into the vision of this church, which is to bless this community so deeply. So, God, make us a movement here. Make us a movement of people that will not stop will not stop in our desire to see the kingdom of God grow in this area. So God, thank you uh, for this family. And we pray to you in Jesus' name, amen.